Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. So today I'm going to speak on a message that I'm calling Stop Pretending. Stop Pretending. And how many of you, when you were little, you spent a lot of time pretending? Like you played pretend, right? Is there a few of you in here? I know I was guilty of that. My kids do it all the time. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think they'll go ahead and put a picture of my family out there. Look how good God has been to me. Come on, that is my lovely wife, Mallory. That's Graham, he's seven. Little Riley next to him, who's five. And that picture was actually taken on Owen's first birthday. So he is one now, if you can believe that. Wrap your mind around that for just a moment. Um, But Graham and Riley both, right? So Owen, he's still in chew and destroy mode, all right? So there's not a lot of pretend being played there. He's just destroying half the house. So be praying for us for that. But with, when it comes to Graham and Riley, they like to play pretend. And they've got an amazing imagination. When you, I've literally walked into Riley's room when she's playing with some of her baby dolls. And I seen her one time. She was actually disciplining the baby doll for waiting too long to go potty. All right, I have no idea where she got that from. And there's times that I'll walk into Graham's room and he's playing with his Star Wars guys or his Marvel guys, and he's literally recreating his own movie trailer. I mean, these kids have some imagination. It's awesome. But there is actually something that I've learned just from observing them and then living out life is that us as humanity, we start pretending as children, but then as we grow, it actually kind of becomes a performance. And it's interesting because I know that we have to perform at times, right? You have to perform at school. You have to perform at your job. If you have a job and you're not performing, you probably won't have said job for long, right? So there's a certain level that you have to perform. I get it. But here's my concern, is that when, when we take pretending and performing into our walk with God, now that's a game changer. We, you know, we begin to think, okay, I said this prayer at church, I accepted Christ, and now I guess I've got to pretend that I've got all things together. I, I guess I have to pretend that I'm living this thing out in all areas of my life right now because that's what's expected, right? And the problem is there's this tension that's on the inside of us where we just, we know without a doubt that we're not living up to God's glorious standard where we think we're supposed to be 
immediately after accepting Christ. So we decide, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pretend. I'm going to fake it till I make it. And I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I'm going to put a smile on my face. When somebody comes up to me and asks how I'm doing, I'm going to say, I'm great. I'm blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Right? And we put on this mask. We put on this performance that everything's okay. Or maybe we live on the performance side of faith. Where, where we literally think, okay, if I can just act good enough, if I can do a good enough performance, if I could do enough good things, if, if I can perform my way to God's good graces, then I'll be okay. And new song, can I tell you this this morning, that both of those ways of living will frustrate you and discourage you. And both of them are going to leave you feeling like, I don't even know if I want to do this Christian thing. I don't even know if this Christian life is for me. I I just don't know. Well, can I tell you that pretending and performing is not what God intended for you when you said yes to Jesus? That, That was never anything that he had in his plans for you when you accepted Christ was that you would have to go the rest of your life performing and pretending in front of people. So Romans chapter eight, it lets us know within the first 11 verses, and that's what we're going to go over today, this morning. In the first 11 verses, Paul lets us know that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to perform, and that there is a better way to live. There's actually, there's a third option, right? In the book of Romans chapters one through seven, that's Paul's defense, his case building on why we need the gospel. And the word gospel simply means good news. So you're probably wondering, well, pastor, I'm new to church. What's the good news? Well, the good news is this, that on our own, we are desperately lost in sin. And can I tell you, that's not a condemning statement, new song. That is simply the reality of the human condition is that we're lost in sin. You don't have to look very far to realize that humans are not mistakers who make mistakes. No, we are sinners who sin. And we desperately need the gift of the gospel that says Jesus died on a cross. His shed blood cleanses our sins and it is what gives us right standing with God. And so Paul builds this case in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, this was an interesting fact that I discovered as I was preparing for this message today. And that is that Harvard Law School for many years actually made Romans one through seven required reading because Paul does such an amazing job of presenting his case and building his case for the gospel. He does such a great job that Harvard Law School wanted every future lawyer that's coming out of there to know how to build a case. That's how well he did it. How many know Harvard Law School is probably not using Romans any longer? But maybe they should. And then it's interesting, we get to chapter 8, and there's where we're going to dig in today. So if you're ready, why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. Buckle up. But first, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much 
for this amazing honor and privilege to be able to bring your word to your people. And Lord, I just pray that this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you're going to help me to communicate, that it's going to be your words and not mine, and that it's going to clearly communicate and and penetrate the hearts of every single person that's in the building and that's watching online. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you some some things to jot down and to take notes. And, And if you're not a note taker, well, I'm still going to give you a few things that maybe you should write down. So get that ready. Uh, Today, I want to give you four thoughts from the first 11 verses of Romans chapter eight. So obviously it's, it's not an exhaustive look by any stretch of the imagination, but I just really feel that God put it on my heart to give you four thoughts that I believe will help you to get out of that performance and pretending trap that you may find yourself in. And that first one is this. Number one, that you need to know to get out of that trap is that your debt is paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. And you got to understand, New Song, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Because if you don't fully grasp this concept, then you're going to continue to go through your life and you're going to pretend to kind of pay a debt that you think you owe. Or you're going to try to perform to pay a debt that you think you owe. But you need to understand that your debt has been paid in full. And I don't know about you, but that's some good news for somebody in this building today. I know it was good news for me. Amen. So let me show you this in Romans chapter eight, verse one, Paul says this, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation. How much condemnation is there? None. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now here's why this is such good news. It's because you and I had a massive debt to pay. It was something that there is no way that we were going to be able to pay this debt ourselves. It would have been impossible on our own. And and we have this debt that sin brought into our life. Because we're all, and here's the, the fancy theological word is imputed. Right, which basically means, hey, we came out of the womb wanting to roll our eyes. Like we came out of the womb wanting to talk back. We came out of the womb with pride and greed and anger. Nobody had to teach you those things. There is no sin 101. And if you don't believe me, put some time in in the nursery back there at some point, amen? All my nursery workers shouting me down this morning. Mine, mine, that's mine. Kids hitting other kids over building blocks. They weren't taught that. That that is sin from the human nature that's just imputed in each and every one of us from the moment that we're born. You just came into the world and there you were, sin and all, cute little baby sinner. And I I know you're probably thinking like, man, Pastor Josh, I hope you're going to be encouraging at some point this morning. Well, here's the encouragement, new song. You're a sinner. You're a sinner from birth. You came out of the womb sinning. And because of that, you and I had a debt that was impossible to pay. We had no way to atone or to make right our own sin. 
We had no way to get ourselves in right standing with God. It was impossible. And and here's the thing. It doesn't matter what good works you do. It doesn't matter how much church you attend. It doesn't matter how loud and proud you sing, how many worship songs on Sunday morning. You had a debt that you could not pay. You were hopeless. Pastor Josh, why are you going so hard at us on Memorial Day weekend? Come on. It's because I need you to understand grace. And if you don't understand the depth of sin that is in your life, then you will never fully understand grace. It's interesting that at the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul's struggling. Paul's saying, you know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Is that relatable to anybody in the building this morning? I know it's relatable to me. There's so, so often that I find myself doing things that I don't want to do, reacting in ways that I don't want to react. I don't want to respond in anger, but sometimes I respond in anger. I want to be a good Christian, but can I be honest? Sometimes I cuss. Just being transparent and honest with you. I want to love everybody. I want to love all people, but sometimes... Sometimes there's those people that when you see them approaching, you have the internal eye roll. Or you're like, oh, I don't have the, oh, I don't have the capacity today to deal with this. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's, you, you want so badly, right, to do what is right and to do what you know you need to do. And yet so often... We, we, we find ourselves leaning towards that flesh side of things. Paul gets to such a point by the end of chapter seven, and, and actually he says this in Romans 7, 24. He says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this sin and death? Like Paul was struggling. Like, because he knew in his heart what he needed to be doing. And yet he was so frustrated with what he found himself continuing to do at times. And I know we've all been there. But then there's something amazing between chapter seven and chapter eight. That there must have been something, I believe, and it's the Holy Spirit stirring up inside of Paul that even though he's in this moment where he's down and he feels like he's lower than earth, that something rises up in him and he remembers. And then all of a sudden we flip the page and now we find ourselves in Romans chapter eight, verse one. And it's like Paul says, oh, that's right. I remember there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I get the tension. I understand the tension that's inside that we know, hey, Jesus says I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm delivered. But man, sometimes I just don't feel like I am. Have you ever been there? We live in this tension of yes, but not yet, and of now, but yet to come. So Paul says there's no condemnation. You see, the word condemnation is actually a legal term that basically means you owe something. And some of us live our life thinking that we have to repay 
Jesus for what he did on the cross for us. And it leads to pretending and performance. So let me ask you this. When Jesus died on the cross, which sins did he die for that you had committed? Let that sink in for a little bit. You see, you had not committed any sin yet because you had not been born yet. So that tells us that Jesus died once for all of our sin. Meaning not just the past sin. You know, I think some of us think, okay, hey, we make that decision for Jesus. And, you know, we raise our hand and say, pastor, that's me. I need that. I need Jesus in my life. I need to make him number one. And then you think, okay, well, that covered my sin now and my sins from the past. Whoo. And then all of a sudden you leave church that day and you're driving and you don't even get home. And you're like, oh, I blew it. I've already sinned. Sinned again. I haven't even got home. There it goes. I blew it. New song, can I tell you that Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future? That's important for you to know. Things we haven't even thought about doing. Paul said there is no condemnation. This is the important part for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this doesn't apply to the person that has yet accepted Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus, it doesn't apply. There is, as a matter of fact, condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you don't have to live performing in order to get God to like you. There's no condemnation. You don't have to pretend. And I want you to know that the next time that that sinful nature or that flesh rears its ugly head in your life and the enemy tries to whisper to you, see, you did it again. See, God doesn't love you. You haven't been forgiven. Don't listen to what that preacher has to say. Man, God can't stand you as you continue to fall into that sin. You're a mess. Oh, you make God sick. Don't believe it. You can say, no, 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 no. You see, I may not have it all together just yet, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know who needed to hear that today, but I think somebody did. Because listen, new song, if your entire hope of eternity, if your hope of salvation is tied up in your performance, you're missing it. You're missing it. It has to be rooted in something much deeper it has to be firmly rooted on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Are you with me this morning? But I know there's some that are probably saying, man, pastor, that sounds like easy grace. It sounds like we can just go and live our life however we want. No, no, this is one of the amazing things about God is that he gives you free will to make choices. Now, so often I think we interpret free will as like, oh, Yep, there's that free will that God gave us, and we always seem to choose wrong. But can I tell you that the free will that God gave you, there is, yes, the ability to choose wrong, but there's also the will to choose right. And you see, God wanted to have a family that would respond to his grace and his love, wanting to serve, not out of fear having to serve. Let me give you this example. <clears throat> you see, fear isn't love. 
right? We, we read in 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love actually casts out fear, right? So could you imagine, God did not want a relationship like this. Could you imagine if while Mallory and I were dating, if I would have went to her and I would have said, hey, love me and marry me, or I will track you down for the rest of your life. That probably wouldn't have went well. And even if, if I would have done that and she would have accepted that out of fear, that's not love. God never wanted a relationship with his children like that. And yet the sad thing is, is I believe there are some in this room and maybe some that are watching uh, online that that is your relationship. That's your view of God is serve me and love me or I'm going to punish you. And that's just the wrong view. That's fear. That's not love. John 15, 13 says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, knowing that you had the free will to reject him, but that you also had the free will to accept him. That's love. That brings us to the second thing that you need to know in order to set yourself free from the pretending and the performance. And that is this, that you've been set free. Breaks my heart as a pastor. I see it a lot as a youth pastor with some of the teenagers. I also see it with adults in that here they are. They, they truly, they've been saved They've been set free, and yet here they are sitting in a cell with the door wide open. They don't even need keys to it. The door is already open, but they choose to stay in prison because they don't truly realize that they've been set free. Don't let that be you. You got to know you've been set free. Now watch this. This is where we're going to dig in a touch. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 through 4, it says this. It says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Now, let me pause there for just a moment. Paul's saying Here's what believers have been set free from. The law of the spirit who gives life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I need you to understand this about this scripture, New Song, is that the law that Paul is referring to here in verse two is not the law of the Old Testament. You see, usually when in the Bible, when it references the law, it's talking about Old Testament law and the rules and the regulations that were put out in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. It's usually talking about sacrificial systems and the many different things that they had to do or to perform to get right standing with God. This law in Romans 8, 2 is not that law. Actually, this law would be better translated as the principle of the spirit of life set me free from the principle of sin and death. 
You see, Paul is speaking to a mixture of Jewish and Roman people, and he's basically saying this. He's saying, listen, there was an old principle at work, and that old principle was that if I do enough good, follow enough rules, select the best oxen to sacrifice at the altar, well, then my righteousness will be acceptable before God. But that old principle is being replaced by a new principle. That, and it's this, that Jesus's work on the cross is enough And now the spirit of God gives me the power to live the life that God intended for me to live that I could have never done on my own. Come on, that deserves a better amen from somebody in the house. And he says, for what the law was powerless to do, you have to understand there were over 400 plus laws and rules and regulations that they had to follow. And I really believe that through it, God was showing them an example that, hey, you will never be able to do this on your own strength. Because it says right there in scripture, the law was weakened by the sinful nature of man. It was weakened by the flesh. Why? Because my nature and your nature would never be able to follow 400 plus rules and regulations to the T. But it never happened. So God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And I so badly want you guys to get this. In that the Old Testament and those laws, they worked like a mirror. And a mirror can only change what I'm looking at. It can only reflect what's going on. So I can, I can look here and go, wow, that hair is getting really thin. But... I can realize it. The mirror reveals it to me, but the mirror can't make my hair any thicker. Do you follow me? You see, I can look at this mirror and and check and see, oh man, do I have any stains or blemishes on my jeans? And by the grace of God, I don't. But if I did, the mirror has no ability to actually cleanse those jeans. The mirror doesn't have the ability to take the stains away. It can only show me there's a stain. You follow me? I can look at this and go, oh man, I might need to clean up a little bit. I think I might need to shave a touch, but the mirror isn't going to shave me. And yet it's interesting. There's a lot of people out there that that's exactly what they try to do. They try to pick the mirror up, that law, and expect it to actually do something. It's called religious legalism. There's a lot of people that fall victim to it. They think that if I take on enough rules and maybe if I can even add to those rules some more and then pull them off, well, then God will be pleased with me. And Paul's saying, no, (laughs) that way was weakened by the flesh. That way was weakened by the sinful nature of man. This is why God the Father sent Jesus in place to be a sin offering for us Jesus condemned sin in sinful man. Watch this. Jesus paid the penalty for sin once and for all. Jesus actually beat sin at its own game. How many is grateful that our Jesus can beat sin at its own game? You see, you see, Jesus walked the earth. He was given the opportunity to hate. Jesus walked the earth. He was given the opportunity to be prideful. 
He was given the opportunity to be angry. He was given the opportunity to fall to sexual immorality. He was given the opportunity for greed. And yet in all these things, he had no sin. He beat sin at its own game so that he could be an offering for you and for me. Romans 8, 4, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh or the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. You see, Jesus looked at the law and said, done. He said, I've, I've fulfilled it all. I've covered them all. I've checked every box, every rule, every regulation. It's all fulfilled in me. So now you and I don't have to go, oh, I hope I'm good enough. Oh, I sure hope that the Lord was watching when I took those groceries down to the old lady down the street. I sure hope he recorded that. Oh, I, I sure hope that, that he's been keeping track that I've gone 40 straight Sundays to church. God, I hope you check that box and save that and remember it because I'm performing well. By the grace of God, we don't have to do that. We can actually just say, hey, Jesus, I place all my trust in what you did on the cross for me and I receive your forgiveness and I receive your peace. You see, Jesus' work on the cross didn't just free us from the penalty of, of sin, excuse me, which is eternal separation from God. That's the penalty of sin. And can I tell you, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And they're going to put this quote up there for you because I think it's noteworthy. And that is that Jesus didn't just save us from the penalty of sin, but he has also removed the power of sin. Which means this, you no longer have to walk through life saying, well, you know what? I guess this addiction just has me. I, I guess this anger just has me. I guess this lust just has me. I guess this pornography just has me. No, you don't have to because Jesus has already fulfilled the law. You don't have to live according to the flesh or that sinful nature, but you now live according to the spirit because you've been set free. And not just from the penalty, but from the power of sin. Here's the tension. Here's that internal tension because sometimes I feel like sin still holds some power in my life because the principle can be true and you still be in process. Do you track with me? See, the theological word for that is sanctification, right? That we're on an ongoing process that God is making. He's, he's inside of us every day, making us more and more like Christ. But it's a process, now, accompanied with your salvation should be a process of transformation, right? Another way you hear it said is you should show some fruit, right? In other words, let me say it this way. I shouldn't be able to say that I'm a Christian yet not act like one. I shouldn't be able to say that I'm a Christian and not love like one or give like one or serve like one. Because if I do that, then I'm taking the label, but I'm not being true to the label. I'm putting great value tomato soup and just slapping a Campbell's label on it. 
But, but pastor, I, I thought Jesus was just love. He was just love. He's always about love. Yeah, he is love. But his love should compel you to something. You see, his love should compel you to want to serve, to want to live life, to want to give, to want to be more like Christ. So I don't have to pretend or perform because I've been set free. I have the spirit of God now living inside of me, enabling me to be different. And that's essentially what Jesus was saying to the woman caught in adultery in John 8. So many of you that's been in church, maybe most of your life, you're very familiar with John 8 and the the woman caught in adultery. But maybe some of you that are new to church, you're not familiar with it. So I'll give you a quick breakdown. So there was a woman that was committing adultery. And then there was these religious leaders that were there in town. And for whatever reason, peeping around, probably places they shouldn't have been, and somehow caught this woman in the act. They drag her out. And why they drag her out and not drag the man out too? Because he was doing his business too. I don't know. But they drag the woman out. And under Mosaic law at that time, they had every right to stone her to death. So they drag her out and and she's just covering up because she knows what's coming. And then there's this amazing moment where Jesus is there and they're trying to trap him. They, they want him to say, hey, don't stone her. And then he's against the law. And, and then they're wanting to say, oh, well, stone her. And then they'll pass word around that, oh, this healing Jesus had a woman killed. And in all the wisdom of Jesus, he responds with, okay, he without sin, you cast the first stone. They just start dropping stones and walking away. And then we have this moment where Jesus is there with the woman and and he says, where are your accusers? And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And here's the thing, new song. We love that part about neither do I condemn you. We're like, yes, thank you, Jesus. See, Jesus is love. That's awesome. But we struggle sometimes with the next part where Jesus said, hey, go and adjust your lifestyle. Like, like, I know you got caught in something, but hey, that's not your identity. You have a new identity, but go out and change your lifestyle. Go and sin no more. You see, we've been set free from the penalty of sin, and thank God for that. I'm grateful that I've been set free from the penalty of sin. I have a home in heaven one day. But can I tell you, I'm not going to heaven because of anything that Josh did. I'm solely going to heaven because I accepted what Jesus did for me on the cross. But I'm not only set free from the penalty of sin, but I'm getting freer every day through sanctification from the power of sin. I'm in process. You see, what used to cause me to trip up doesn't cause me to trip up anymore. And I don't say that out of... and arrogance, I'm saying it because I'm in process. Do you follow me? That I'm not living according to the sinful nature or to the flesh, but I'm living according to the spirit. I've been set free. And that leads us to number three. And that's this, that you can govern your mind. You can govern your mind. I don't have to pretend because I can govern my mind. Listen to this, Romans 8, 5 through 8, says, those who live according to the sinful nature 
have their minds set on what the nature desires, what the flesh desires. You see, New Song, this is why we can pray a prayer on Sunday and then wonder why we're not seeing more change in our life throughout the week. It's because of what we're setting our minds on. He continues, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The the mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Who in here would like a little bit more life and peace? Come on. Paul tells us this is how you get it. Have your mind set on things of the spirit. So I have control of my thinking. I have the option to set my mind on lust, anger, bitterness, rage, unforgiveness. I can let my mind run all kinds of places that are pleasing to the sinful nature, pleasing to the flesh. I mean, you know, that, 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 that sinful nature, that flesh side of you often throughout the week is probably going, oh yeah, hate them some more. Oh, didn't you hear what they said to you? Don't you remember what they did to you? Hate them, hate them. It's okay, you're justified to hate them. Oh, hate them. Keep that thing going. Let that bitterness take root and continue to grow. Let it grow deeper. It's what the sinful side says. But the Bible tells me because I have the spirit of God now residing in me, I can govern my mind. In other words, I can place the authority of God over my mind and say, no, I'm going to think about peace. I'm going to think about truth. I'm going to think about justice. I'm going to think about righteousness. I'm going to think about the gospel and what it means to me and others. You don't have to put on a performance for God. I think too many of us think that, that our relationship with God is, is like we're on the voice, right? That you got, you got God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit in chairs, and we got to put on this life performance that all of a sudden we're going to do enough good that they slap the button and turn around and go, all right, you're part of the team. And yet the amazing thing is, is that he's already accepted you. The moment you accepted his son, Jesus, you're part of the team. You become a child of his. You don't have to perform. I mean, Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Like he he didn't say, you know what? I tell you what, Dave, if you'll just clean up your act, if you'll just start to, to move away from that nonsense and stop, stop, you know, coming at people with anger, if you'll stop that, then I'll go ahead and extend what I did on the cross for you. Clean yourself up. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's powerful. You don't have to pretend, you don't have to perform. You just have to accept and receive. So I want to ask you this. When is the last time that you ask God, God, what do you want me to think about? God, what's something that when I think it brings you pleasure and brings you joy? And here's the last one. And Devin's going to come up and help me land this plane. It's number four. You have new power. New power. You don't have to pretend or perform because you have new power. 
Watch this. Romans 8, 9 through 11. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And listen here. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, I know I said a lot there, so I want to give you the cliff notes. You see, when I was in college, they were called cliff notes. And can I be honest? I bought those before I bought the textbook. So the cliff notes I want to give you. And that is this, that when you said yes to Jesus, the seal of the Holy Spirit came into your life. And now, of course, we believe here at New Song that then as you grow and mature, there is another, a second baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is another message for another day. But you get the Holy Spirit when you accept Christ. It's, it's the seal of your salvation. In other words, a supernatural force enters your mortal body. And that's the only way that you could live this Christian life. It would be impossible on your own. There's no way that you could do it. You have to have a greater power. And I think it's amazing that Paul said the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you once you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Wow. And yet still, sometimes there'll be teenagers or adults that I get the opportunity to talk to that'll say, Pastor, I just, man, I've accepted Christ. Man, I even, and I was baptized. It was incredible. My whole family was there. And yet, oh, I just still feel like I'm trapped. I'm still struggling with some of the things that I was struggling with before. I just, I can't get victory in this area of my life. And I think, it, I think it might be because you don't know that the same spirit that caused the stone to tremble and to roll away, that the same spirit that after three days in the grave brought breath back into the life of Jesus' body, that created the, his blood to start flowing again, lives inside of you when you accept Christ. How could you not have victory? Paul's telling us you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but there's a supernatural thing. There's a new power. And that's why it's the favorite, it's my favorite part of the service that's coming up in just a few moments. That you who haven't accepted Christ, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And why is it your favorite part, Pastor? Because I know that the moment that you say, Jesus, I give you everything. Jesus, I believe you are exactly who you said you are. I give you my life. I know that in that moment, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead enters your mortal body and allows your mortal body to have a supernatural experience and live a life that you could have never lived on your own. 
I want that, Pastor? How do I tap into that power? Can I give you a simple prayer to start? Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, help me to realize that in you, I have no condemnation. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to put on a show. I just have to accept what you did for me and then just allow the process to start to take place. I have a new power. Because new song, we have access to an amazing power. So the next time that you feel the enemy condemning you, whispering things in your ear, convincing you that you need to pretend around others to be someone that you're really not, that, that, that it starts to whisper to you, you know what, in order to get God to love you, in order to get God to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for your life, you're gonna have to put on a good performance that you can rebuke those lies from the enemy and that you can hold on to the fact. And you can remember, just like Paul remembered going from writing chapter seven to writing chapter eight, that I have no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. Do you receive that word this morning, new song? Would you stand with me? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't ever want to end a service without giving anyone who might need the opportunity to receive Christ to do so. His work on the cross gives us freedom, a new life, a new hope, and a new power. It gives us heaven one day, but oh, it gives us so much today. We're no longer under the power or the penalty of sin. With Christ, we are set free. So if that's you, and you'd say, Pastor, I need a fresh start. Pastor, I need a new beginning today. I need to make Jesus the savior of my life so I can begin to tap into that power and to realize that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Include me in that prayer, Pastor. If that's you, I'm just gonna count to three and then you're gonna have an opportunity just as an act of faith. We're not gonna call you out, call you up. We wouldn't embarrass you for the world. We just want you to be able to say, yep, that's me. One, two, three. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up? I see that hand. I see that hand over there. Hands going up all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can go ahead and put your hands down. New song, can we pray this out loud together for the benefit of those that just slipped up their hand? Let's pray. Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you for a brand new beginning. Thank you that I'm not under condemnation. Thank you that I've been set free. Thank you, Lord, that I can govern my mind. And thank you that I have a new power. In Jesus' name, amen. New song, can we celebrate those that gave their life to Jesus this morning here and online? I would encourage you, if that was you and you raised your hand and you said, Pastor, that's me. Man, would you just take that connection card that they talked about, just fill it out and just check the box that said, I committed my life or I recommitted to Christ. 
drop it off at guest services. We've got a free resource for you that's gonna help answer some questions. It's a book called Fresh Start with God. Super easy read. You'll get through it in a day. And uh, I would just encourage you to drop that card off. Allow us as a staff to celebrate with you this week for that decision and enjoy that free gift. For everybody else, man, let's walk in that new power this week, all right? We, We have victory because of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us when we accept Christ. How amazing is that? I want you guys to enjoy your Memorial Weekend. Have fun tomorrow, be safe, and we'll see you again next week. God bless. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week. Thank you.